Yeah. What happens yeah, to your I, brain, brain when you're sleeping? I don't know if you know. I'm no anything. sleep expert. Man. Like, <laughs> I, I really am not. But I can I can tell you one thing. I can mm -hmm. tell you that I've I've experimented with my sleep. Mm -hmm. So let's leave. Let's take off the PhD student hat and put on the like uh, experimenter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So 272 of A to the show, traveling the world. Wow. We're back in Beirut. Yeah, we're doing this every single day for 272 days now, Mo. Corona. <laughs> Corona did this. Corona did this. <laughs> Welcome to the show. <laughs> How's it going, yeah. man? It's going good, man. All right. Great. Tell us about yeah. what do you do. Hmm. Well, that's a broad question. Okay. Um, whatever comes so, to mind. Yeah. Hey, whatever comes yeah. to mind. <laughs> I, this is how we start I, off. <laughs> I mean, we, it, traditionally, you start with like the most, um, uh, I guess, ma acceptable thing that you do with your life. So, uh, um, so like, I'm doing a PhD right now in, in the UK. I'm, I'm based in Saudi right now. You know, I, I decided to come back because it, it was just too much being under quarantine there by myself. But um, I'm doing a PhD in computational neuroscience in Newcastle. Um, and that's one thing I'm doing. Um, but yeah, other than that, I, I play music. I mean, that's like the other thing I do. And, and between <laughs> those things, there's things. But why do you think it's more acceptable to be learning neuroscience than learning the drums? Well, I mean, you, you ask a person what they do. Essentially, I'm like uh, thinking, yeah, do a career, right? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, you, you, you pick the thing that sounds more like a career, right? Um, <laughs> but, but, but like, to me, I, I, can't, I can't honestly say they take equal weight in my life, uh, essentially because if I, you know, because I chose to do a PhD, I had to kind of, I, did, I realized within a year that I need to prioritize and the PhD does take a lot of energy. So um, that doesn't mean that I like put my music in the backseat so much it just means that like i need to do it in order to be able to do my phd better in a sense but i have to kind of give it 100 percent either way you know whatever it is that i'm doing does that make sense like yeah I don't know. yeah you gotta go yeah. you gotta go all in so you're going yeah. all in right now on your science why um, <laughs> why do you uh, care so much really? about your science <laughs> oh man yeah so uh i wanted to be an astronaut when i was a kid um and <laughs> no and, and and somehow in my mind they're connected um well it's it's like it's like um you're traveling yeah well, i i studied so yeah i studied medicine nice. and i i oh. did that because i wanted to um become a psychiatrist right and uh i was disillusioned through throughout you know because of med school um and and all basically <laughs> all those lies it's not what you think it is um and i came out of that you know i kind of swore off academia and i was like thinking okay so i'm just gonna do music and freelance and just try my hand at diff different things and then i remembered that um you know, at some point in my early years in med school, I read this book called Incognito by a guy called David Eagleman. And it's like this um, uh, book, it's called Incognito, The Secret Lives of the Brain, right? And it's a cognitive neuroscientist talking about, you know, cognition and kind of like 
behavior and from a, from a near scientific perspective. And I think that opened my mind up a lot. And I think after medicine, what I did was I kind of somehow remembered that. And after a year of not doing things, except for like my music and stuff like that, I kind of decided to apply and try my hand and and uh, yeah, I did a master's and now I'm doing a PhD in, in computational neuroscience, which is a bit different because essentially I wanted to do something that I was very afraid of my whole life, which is math and computer science. Right. Um, and that's kind of the whole idea behind computational neuroscience or computational mm -hmm. biology in general. You're just kind of making these computational models based on certain mathematical models of neuronal behavior, so how oh, the wow. neurons behave in the brain. Um, you can also make models of, you know, human behavior, but that's mm. different, slightly different. Um, essentially, I'm interested in how nerves uh, come together to create what we think of as thought behavior and things like that. Um, my my thesis is, is a bit more, you know, um, what's the word, uh, specialized or zoomed in. I'm looking at specifically um, using ultrasound to stimulate um, parts of the brain that you couldn't reach otherwise without actually doing surgery and seeing how these parts would, or targeting these parts would lead to the treatment of certain psychiatric illnesses. And if that can give us any insight on um, basically more insight on how the brain works or how the brain comes to, you know, how different parts of the brain come together to, you know, result in the emergent properties that we call, you know, uh, anger or whatever right. it is that happens. Yeah. So when someone is in like, has some mental health issues where they're depressed or anxious or stressed, does that mean they have a broken brain? Pretty much. No. No, broken is broken is harsh, man. I'm sorry, um, I don't mean it like that. Of course, like, of course, like mental health matters but, and stuff. But I'm asking, like, of course, from, yeah. your, from your side of uh, things, yeah. From my side of things, well, I mean, so from my personal perspective, it's 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 multifaceted, right? So so essentially, I I don't really believe in a one uh, angled solution. So while I am talking about like targeting the brain to to fix whatever's broken in there. Uh, using whatever modality that you use, whether it be drugs or ultrasound or, or electricity or whatever stimulation method you want or anything like that. Um, I think that something that's even more important or just as important that has to happen concurrently is like um, behavioral change. Mm -hmm. So essentially your brain, when you are stimulating the brain, you are teaching it. But when you're behaving, you're also teaching it. So if you teach, if if there's like um, a two-pronged approach, mm -hmm. and when you're stimulating, <laughs> when you're stimulating and and a behavior comes out of it, you're just using your iPhone pretty much, right? You get a stimulation, <laughs> and then you get the. Oh, you're you talking about your it a bit different. Okay, so yeah, you, you're getting yeah. like a little dopamine rush, like that's mm -hmm. what you're talking. Yeah, so yeah. so that's that's kind of a different use of the word stimulation, I guess, in this context. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, 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 essentially. Um, that's wow. that's one way you can stimulate you yourself and, and your you're brain. teaching <laughs> and you're teaching yourself basically to do that to keep mm -hmm. reaching out for that iphone but yeah that's how you rewire your brain yeah. uh <laughs> can you re <laughs> can you rewire your brain to make it better for you to make you have a better memory and learn more that's what we think we we could do right i mean mm -hmm. 
Um, I think, I think, so there's a lot of these apps that, you know, teach you how to have a better brain and things like that. The thing about, you know, they give you games, right? Right. The only, the only, they're, they're useful to a degree. So they're useful in that they give you novelty. They give you something you haven't really seen before, a puzzle you haven't solved before. Essentially, when you get used to the game, it then becomes second nature. When it becomes second nature, it stops being useful. And that kind of tells us something, which is if you're always on your toes, if there's that little bit of discomfort and stress throughout your life, that when you're learning something that you're not used to, that's kind of what keeps your brain sharp. So yeah, it could be anything really, but that therein lies the, uh, the, and the opposite. The, the, the and trick. the opposite of that is familiarity, right? So if someone just watches yeah. TV every single day, the same episodes of The Office, Sorry. Yeah, we all do that. Like, we all do that. Like, listen, listen, I, I believe in the importance of doing that. Like, that is good because that gives you kind of a certain peace, right? And then you can go do the uncomfortable thing, right? Like, mm -hmm. do both, man. Like, don't don't take it. Don't be so harsh, you know, on yourself. Right. Yeah. So, you can, so it's like when you're trying to take a break from the, the, the stressful kind of actions and the, the ones that cause you anxiety or take you, out of, take you out of your comfort zone, you would return to something that's more familiar so that you could basically rest your brain in a sense actually there's a really interesting book you guys might like um called i think it was called learning how to learn but you can also find this on on coursera you know the website with the courses the free courses yeah so learning yeah just check out learning how to learn uh essentially it's this lady who used to be a linguist and then in her late 20s early 30s something decided to do a master's or phd in engineering and she was never good at math and then she had to teach herself how to do math and like it was it's this whole thing and she came up with this 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 whole book and in it she talks about like the brain being in like a focus mode and a diffuse mode you can think of the focus mode as like tackling that difficult thing and the diffuse mode as being in like a default state which is when you're watching something super familiar when you're going mm -hmm. for a jog if you like to jog when you're doing something that you do to turn off your brain um, essentially, those two are important. Oh, you, wow. you can't have one or the other. Mm -hmm. And the harder you work at something, the more important it is to give yourself that time of shutting shutting off 100%, while awake. 100%. And, yeah. and, and what happens when you're shutting off while awake is essentially in the back of your mind, in your subconscious, what's going on is your mind is kind of organizing. Oh, wow. I, I want to use a metaphor, maybe a, or a not, like a bad one, but like, like when you <laughs> defragment your computer, right? So essentially, it's like reorganizing or whatever. And when you come back to tackle the same problem, and you guys should try this, like it's amazing. Try to solve a really hard problem for like a few days, right? Whatever the fuck it is, right? What happens is you, you try really, really hard for like an hour or something or, or half an hour. You go, you do something silly. Uh, you come back another day. You go, you do something silly. Come back another day. What's going to happen is you're going to find insights coming to you, kind of eureka moments mm -hmm. more often if you do it like this. You know, if you just try really hard and then shut down entirely, it's so, it's really really. Useful. And this isn't like something wow. uh, like random. This is scientifically proven as well. Essentially, yeah, yeah. This is this is something that every 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 person who's in a difficult field essentially will do, whether they realize it or not. You not know what I mean? Enough. I feel like this. Yeah, is something we, mm -hmm. you have to fall into a pattern, and that's the pattern that people will take. Well, isn't that why sleep is so important? Just people getting good sleep, resting your brain. Yeah. What happens yeah, to your I, brain when you're sleeping? I don't know if you know. I'm no thing. sleep expert, man. Like, <laughs> All right. I, I really am not. But I can, I can tell you one thing. I can mm -hmm. tell you that I've, I've experimented with my sleep. 
Mm -hmm. So let's leave. Let's take off the PhD student hat and put on the like uh, experimenter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like, and like, um, a few years ago, I felt like I didn't have enough days in the in the hours in the day, right? And uh, that I don't know. I was I was extremely hyper at that period in my life, um, and I felt like I needed more time. So I looked into this thing called polyphasic sleep. Um, or they 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 have they have a silly name for it like Uberman sleep or something, and basically what it is is it's it's said that Benjamin Franklin and whoever else you know all these people who do things um, <laughs> did this kind of thing, and um, I'm not sure how true it is, but mm -hmm. they the 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 way you do it is instead of sleeping in one stretch in a day, you basically sleep. In 20 minute naps, six times a day, four How do you hours do that? <laughs> it's hard. It sounds it's so difficult. Yeah. Listen, it's hard as Just fuck. falling um, asleep. Yeah. So, yeah. How do you do it? <laughs> so, so here's the thing. They say in the instructions I read on a forum online. <laughs> that one <day. laughs> That's the science, you know, uh, mm -hmm. you know, uh, asp aspirant. <laughs> Um, so, so, um, I, I basically read that, um, you don't want to drink caffeine. You want to watch your food, blah, blah, blah. I didn't do any of that. I drank a shit ton of coffee and that helped because what you have to do essentially is in the beginning, you want to stay awake for 24 hours and then you're going to be like dying to sleep. Right. Um, I didn't smoke cigarettes at the time. And I think that that's important. Um, I mean, I still don't smoke. I just vape, but hey, um, nicotine <laughs> does mess with your sleep cycle. Oh, wow. um, what? <laughs> really? Really that? badly. Really? Really wow. badly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Like nicotine messes yeah. with your sleep cycle, your mood. It's, it's, it's quite, it's quite, it's one of those like silent, you know, evils. It's an irritant, but, right? It's a stimulant, I guess. But yeah, it is definitely irritating to your lungs. Um, but Anyway, back to the Uberman sleep. Um, so what you would do is after 24 hours, you're awake, you want to die, you're like so sleepy. Um, that, uh, what I would do is I would like sleep in a very uncomfortable position without a blanket. So I just kind of find a couch, uh, put on a um, uh, alarm for 20 minutes. And as soon as I close my eyes, what I would realize would happen is maybe not the first time or the second time, um, but you would, you would slip straight into a dream, which is really, really weird. Whoa. Like that happened every time after the first couple of days, like you would slip straight into a dream and it would feel like you're in there for hours. Then the alarm rings and you're like, ah! and it's like, oh, it's been <laughs> 20 minutes. And it's like. Oh, I, I feel great, you know, but not the first day, not the second day. Not the, you know, you'll feel great after like a few days. Yes. Um, and there's a modified way of doing this. So essentially what I was doing wasn't like six naps a day. It was three naps plus about two and a half hours of solid sleep. I see. So that was really cool. That was doable. For me. This is not health advice. That. This is not medical <laughs> advice. Try this at your own risk. Do not. Uh, do, do not. This. Do not. I'm drinking like a liter of coffee today. Like, <laughs> you know, like do not do. This. Yeah. But essentially, it worked. I had mm -hmm. I had the mental capacity to sit down and do things I found interesting. So 
it didn't last for more than three weeks, dude. Like that was it. But that was my little experiment, you know. Um, and yeah, then you I feel went like, back to normal. <laughs> yeah, I feel like yeah. uh, when you like yeah. go into REM sleep, like uh, I don't know, like people usually experiment with uh, with their dreams a lot. And there's um, uh, what's it called? There was there's this uh, technique also where you can basically take control of your dreams. Lucid I don't dreaming. know if you lucid dreaming exactly. Thanks lucid God. dreaming, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Because they say like in your dreams, that's where you're the, you're most creative. And, yeah. And people come up with like a lot of creative things that they can apply in real life through their dreams. And oh, man. to be honest, I have I have tried practicing lucid dreaming myself, and <laughs> I did get dreams. Yeah. It, yeah. I did get what? more. <laughs> yeah, the, it's, it's actually very entertaining. Controlled your own like, dreams? That sounds amazing, dude. It's like Inception. I didn't. Yeah. I didn't get <laughs> yeah. control of my dreams, but mm -hmm. I was, I was getting to the point where I was aware that I am in a dream and I was enjoying it. You know, it's like, okay, this is a dream. I ha I don't have full control yet, but you know, I'm going around. It's like, this is my dream. It's like, okay, let's see yeah. what's gonna happen. <laughs> did you try to fly? Did you do all these kind of? <laughs> no, no, like... I couldn't have full control. It's like basically the dream was going on. But instead watching. of me, you're self-aware. Yeah, I'm self-aware that it's going on, but <laughs> yeah. I don't have control of it over it wow. yet. I still needed a lot of practice, and it didn't. <laughs> I, I, I know, I know. Yeah, I've I've experimented myself with lucid dreaming. It's just that um, it was it was around the same period of time that I was doing all this um, polyphasic sleep stuff, which was years ago. But I remember being very like I lucid dreamed maybe on purpose, maybe two or three times. Uh, not not any more than that. Um, I usually have a hard time remembering my dreams anyway. Yeah. Um, so, you know, keeping a dream journal helps and all that. But um, I, I read about all these methods you would use, so I tried them. And um, the first time was interesting. I wake up, I'm in my room, I look out the window, it's like a purple sky. And I'm like, oh, a purple sky, great. You know, and, <laughs> and you look at the clock and it's like, oh, I can't read any of this. That's interesting. You go in front of the mirror, it's not working. You look at your hands, they're not hands, they're two blobs. And, and it's just like, ah, oh, this is a dream, great. And then I wake up. So then what would happen is I would wake up and wake up and wake up and wake up kind of like inception. So you're in a dream and a dream and a dream. That was scary. But then the <laughs> last time I did it, I actually never tried it again because I was so freaked out. And uh, basically I remember like being very afraid of like meeting others in my dream while I was aware. Does that make sense? Like meeting yeah. someone along the way. Like, like, yeah. like actual, actual people in your dream. Yeah, exactly. And and it was just such a freaky thought that I remember like, oh, it was the same thing. I wake up, I'm in my room. I do the whole things. I look at my hands. It's all the same. The sky's purple. And I go to my door. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to open this door. But I know that behind this door, there's like a shadowy figure. Okay, take a deep breath. Let's open this door. Open the door, wake up. And I go like, fuck no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> this, I'm not doing this again, you know? Wow. But yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was wow. kind of creepy. Yeah. It's like, how that, it's like how every white chick dies in a horror movie. Exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> Open the door. Ah! My white chick yeah. Stab, stab. Yeah. Right. Um, I mean. Mode to go. Uh, this is something I really want to know about. Um, so you... Computers have really helped us learn about the brain and how the brain works. How much do you think the computers have helped us? And what things have we learned about the brain through computers? Oof. Wow. Yeah. 
that's that's a great question actually okay so um computers computers um (laughs) (laughs) so so i'd say because of you know the computing power that's been available in the last 30 ish years you you were you are even like able in the first place to have a field such as the one i'm I'm in um before that this field was mostly occupied by mathematicians um essentially people who are creating uh, formulas to describe biological behavior but they had no way of um actually experimenting or testing so when you experiment in biology you know there's you know in vivo experimentation which is in living creatures there's in vitro which is like in petri dishes or like in single cells or something um but there's now you know this term that's been coined in silico which is just like experiments in computers in silicon right and essentially uh because of computers you can run these mathematical models and see you know um test hypotheses uh, as to how things work in the brain and modify your uh, uh, mathematical model accordingly, do things like that and understand more about how the brain works. And also because of computers, I'd say, there's a lot of very uh, ambitious um, um, projects. Um, They're, in my opinion, a little bit I mean, they're ambitious and they're going to be useful, I'm sure, uh, but they're not the be-all, end-all, like mapping the entire brain. Mapping, you know, mapping the entire it. brain. Yeah, the, like the, self or the, spell. The AI guys are trying to do that for sure, right? Well, interestingly, the AI guys can't. It's it's taking a lot of manual labor. I see. Um, and we're talking about like mapping it anatomically. Basically, the whole idea is it's going to involve AI, definitely, but... Mm-hmm. The whole idea of like mapping the whole brain. I think there's there's a European one. I think it was the Blue Brain Project, or oh my god, don't quote me on these. I keep forgetting which is which. <laughs> but there's like there's like a there's like a couple of big big players, and one in America and one in Europe, and um, they were like super ambitious in the like ten years ago or something, or and they were like we're gonna map the whole brain by the year twenty whatever and twenty eighteen or something. And of course, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Um, yeah. yeah, it didn't happen because you know how we map the whole human genome. So people are like, oh, we can map the whole brain. And the thing is, um, even if you map the whole brain, no, I don't want to be. I don't want to be that guy. What is you can? <laughs> what would happen? What would, what would we actually benefit? Like, what could be the coolest thing? The coolest outcome of mapping the brain? You can basically the coolest thing from from mapping the whole brain, and if you like do it accurately down to the biophysics, um, you can basically run experiments in that brain as if it were real. Oh wow! Um, and find results that are actually telling you exactly what a real brain would do. <laughs> but but in here's the, the thing, man. No, man. no. But but here's the thing. Here's here's mm-hmm. here's the thing. Um, if if biophysics isn't your point. Sorry, if biophysics is your point, doing that wouldn't be necessary, right? Because essentially all we've been doing or all scientists have been doing for years and years and years before computers is abstracting. So as far back as like, I don't know, uh, Newton or whatever, um, um, what he was trying to do is like abstract natural phenomena 
into mathematical formula that he could then use to predict and, you know, just kind of describe what's going on in the real world. But it is an abstraction, ultimately. Like, he, he had to kind of simplify it to a certain degree in order for it to be comprehensible. That's what we're doing with models. We simplify it to a certain degree to make things comprehensible so that you can actually make it into a model and make it into a computer model and uh, use as, less, uh, as little computing power as you can. Um, and at the same time, because it's so abstracted, it's very controllable, which is something that you don't have in a real living, you know, being it's not controllable you you know all the moving parts so you know what to change exactly mm -hmm. so you can have a more refined um you know answer to your hypothesis or whatever and um um so back to the to if, if that's not your point if you're not looking at dynamics or physics or, or whatever it is that you're looking at in the brain uh, i was actually I was, I was supposed to say dynamics anyway anyway not important Psychology but if, if you're looking yeah, if you want to learn about even psychology, with psychology and neuroscience. Even with psychology, you're still, you're still going to abstract. If you're looking more at, uh, because you're going to abstract behavior. So there's this thing called right. uh, psychologic, uh, psychiatric, uh, computational psychiatry, which is exactly the same idea as what I'm doing, except you're looking mainly at behavior, not neuronal behavior, but human behavior. Um, and so, and so this is something that's used in marketing. It's something mm -hmm. that's used in economics and, <laughs> mm -hmm. and it has its flaws. So the problem with that is that when you try to predict large groups of people and you treat them all as like human being will take, make rational decision, blah, no, no, it doesn't work that way, but that's kind of what economics has done. It's, it's not very accurate, but that's just my opinion. But anyway, it, it works <laughs> in some, in some context. Well, um, if, 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 sorry. If you look at like computational psychiatry specifically, it's not as it, you know evil as it sounds because um, you would be modeling a very specific, you know, zoomed in thing like decision making. Right. Will you t will you pick blue ball or red ball? How do you model that? But when, Why do you take this right. decision? This kind with, of thing. With all the information that we have about each and single one of us individually, everything that's all the data that's being collected from each one of us. I feel like they are building systems that can really find out what your decisions are gonna be, how you're gonna act. Cause <laughs> I think they're kind of mapping your brain with all the decisions. I mean, isn't just your brain, what decisions you yeah, make? They're mapping your behavior, yeah. not mapping your brain. Your be right, mapping your behavior. Yeah. So and, and, and your like behavior- Mapping the behavior like very general in a sense. It's not actually well, like, accurate. Actually, I, I, would, mm. I would say that it's the, maybe the, oh, or yeah, it's not, it's not general. It's just very specialized. Um, Again, just my opinion, like I'm talking out of my ass, right. but like <laughs> what I think is um, basically when you, when, you, when you say like these uh, Facebook, whatever, who are taking our data and looking at our behavior and all that stuff, what they're looking at is behavior in a very, in a, in a very specific environment that's geared towards making us behave in a certain way. So essentially, right. it's almost like um, a... Uh, what's that term for like when uh, a prophecy is self-fulfilling uh, prophecy? Yes. So yeah. I, I, yeah. that's kind of the term that jumps to mind because mm -hmm. essentially it's almost like you're telling people how to behave and then they behave in that way and then they tell you this is how you behave and right. it's really because of the it's setting you're in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we live we don't we don't live just inside our individual bodies or heads mm -hmm. or minds or just even or even just in our homes or even just in our immediate societies we are very global in a sense and but not really global in a way that's like kumbaya 
it's that we're influenced by a lot of different factors and we cannot account for all of them. We ourselves cannot account for all of them as individuals. But these factors are identifiable. So, for instance, the kind of economic system we live under globally, the right. kind of um, what resources are available to us, maybe in our country or individually or stuff like that. These things play a huge part in what kind of decisions we make or what kind of pitfalls mm -hmm. we fall into or or loops of behavior it doesn't seem like a direct here's, connection i guess here's what i'm is, trying to you know? here's what i'm trying to go at mode to go i'm here to ask the really hard questions yeah. that's why <laughs> that's where the greatest podcast and then that is what we need the answer for um do you believe in free will with all the neuroscience you've been learning you think people can make their own behaviors or is everything before i answer that question <laughs> part of your brain i have a i have a, i have a friend uh who's doing her phd in in uh, philosophy and she and I were talking like about a year ago because uh, we were like study buddies. We studied together, right? And um, she, I was talking to her about like her degree and like, I'm so interested in philosophy. I was like, dude, yes. like I, I could end up doing like philosophy of science instead of like at some point after this, after this PhD or even with this <laughs> PhD. And, and um, she, I was thinking about like, I don't know. Like, uh, and then I said, I don't know, free will. And then she looks at me like just, like, like, hey, listen, Muhammad. Like, free will is just so, so done. Like, it's been done and done and done and it done. done. Like, it's Moving it's been just like grinded down. Yeah. Um, but but the thing is, like, everyone's done free will. Everyone's thought about it. She was like, "Has it's done? It's passe, you know." That's true. And mm -hmm. and I was just like, okay. But essentially, my opinion on on free will. I don't know if, if I have an opinion on free will because the way you you would have to you would have to you would have to uh, define it. Give me a working definition of free will. So All you right. give me a working definition of free will, and I'll tell you. Every de decisions yeah. that you make, behaviors that you do, are those caused by some kind of like like the thought or. Um, is it all just your, your caused by stimulus? Yeah, is it just caused by external stimulus? Is everything just caused by external stimulus, or do you have some kind of thing that you generate in your own head, whatever, a self <laughs> that <laughs> takes control? You study yes. the brain. Who else am I gonna yes. ask? That MMA guy. Okay, um, who else am I gonna ask? <laughs> just, listen, whatever it is, just don't quote like don't put my name. <laughs> okay. We're gonna clip this no, no, for kidding. sure. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No, 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 it's fine. So, so um, you're the author. That's it. You're going down. Yeah, I, I am the author. I'm, yeah, I'm going down to this. Okay. Um, so, okay. It's it, in my mind. It's a bit complicated, and I, 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 I'm, I don't really deal with absolutes, you know. So, so I, I can't really say this is what it is. But um, I will say this. Um, so, to my mind even the things that you do out of your own volition, it's called volition instead of free will, um, they are maybe a part of, and I'm speaking metaphorically here, a trajectory of different events that have been happening since before you were even born. Um, and they were happening essentially before your conception because even the, the genetic <laughs> code that came in to put you together has certain information in it that will have a huge influence 
on who you become. And I am not a person who thinks the dichotomy of nature and nurture, you know, this makes any sense. It's Because essentially, thing. basically, the way you're describing it's, it's nature and nurture is just one thing. That's what I think. And, oh, okay. <laughs> and, 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 <laughs> In high school and, science, they told me there were two things. <laughs> In psychology, <laughs> they're like, no, honestly, look at this is nurture. It kind of makes sense. It kind of makes sense because, like, yeah, yeah, when they say how every, Mm -hmm. like, sometimes you are like predetermined to, genetically, you're predetermined to be, for example, depressed or have this specific disease or have something like that because of your genetics. Um, Mm -hmm. These kind of, mm -hmm. I'm not saying obviously only these things. Maybe there's some other things, some other details in your gene code that could make you have a specific behavior. Is that possible? Okay. While some twins, you've heard of twin studies, studies on twins who were separated at birth. Yeah. There's some twin studies, for instance, that show that, you know, oh, two twins separated at birth, different families, whatever. They have a dog with the same name. They have a wife with the same name. They, they, Chose same similar things. They it's do like the same me and Said. Me and Said. Great example. Yeah, pretty much. They said really? Like you have a twin? No, no, Is we that... are twins. <laughs> the glasses. Just a joke. Uh, and the beards. Just kidding. Move okay. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay. My brain just went. What? <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Um, continue. <laughs> wait, wait, okay. So. Um, um, so. We're not studying. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> um, so. So. So, yeah, so, so that, that's an argument for the power mm-hmm. of uh, uh, nature, right? The power of your genetics. The thing, though, is even with a certain genetic predisposition to something, um, the, your genes are dynamic. So, so you have to understand that when you're alive, you know, you and me right now, mm-hmm. our genetic code is not static. It's not a thing that's just that. There's this study of epigenetics, which is the change of your genetic code in during your life, you know, and um, basically what that means is that environmental factors are going to change the expression of your genes, even create new mutations or different expressions or different things. So That's why a person without a certain genetic predisposition develops a certain disease or a person with a certain genetic disposition or not. It's not why, sorry, not necessarily why, because just I'm it's no genetic expert, but, but <laughs> the studies are still ongoing. Uh, yeah. yeah. But, but mm-hmm. what I'm going to say is, is that it seems much more plausible to say that there's three factors genetically, you know, what came before your birth, environmentally and then the third is your behavior so essentially i do believe that you must have volition you must have will you must have action that exists and you do do it because you do make decisions but the way i see free will or action or all these things is literally nothing more than being met with a trillion forks in the road throughout your life and going left or right that's essentially what you're doing Got all it. the time <laughs> yeah uh, so, so they're yes. micro decisions the and that's the only place <laughs> mm-hmm. that's the only place where your free will resides is is my opinion mm-hmm. but, right, but yeah. in reality it's not really f- if if like what we were dis- the way we're describing it and from what i understood is those micro decisions are also not of your own volition because they could have an external they could have an external influence like there could be an external influence on your micro decision as well 
because mm -hmm. your your behavior is also built up from your environment and mm -hmm. the people that raised you and whatever mm -hmm. influence you you've had from the people around you and they mm -hmm. in a sense can affect your decisions yes so definitely I, so from what I'm understanding, it's like we don't even we don't have uh, free will. We don't uh, have yeah, yeah, moving on, moving on. Next question. Next question. I don't like this answer. No, because like like because this is cool. Because 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 basically, you, you, what you're saying is is you're definitely 100 true, right? Because 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 here's the thing: you grow up, and none of your ideas are your own. You 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 believe that they're your own, but they're not. And essentially, you've been indoctrinated, whether you live in a society that that you know is dogmatic or not. You know, you're you're going to be indoctrinated with something, and you're going to believe these things to be truths. Um, now, here's the thing: if a person never gets challenged, they will not develop critical thought, and the ability to think critically of your the things that you're, you know, um, taught are truths or whatever, is what then gives you the capacity to take a step back um, before making a decision. But then you can go further with your train of thought and say your very capacity or, you know, you being able to develop critical thought has a lot to do with your environment, doesn't it? Like you being, what were you exposed to, you know? But then how does that explain the people who go out of their way right to find yeah, going on that point is like okay right. so yeah going out of your comfort zone is basically it, it creates critical thinking it uh, trains your mind to develop better crit critical thinking skills is that in a sense like okay there's this point and another point i also want to mention is that in a sense you creating free will and because you're not picking something that has I'm out of my comfort zone right now. I'm out of my comfort zone right now. This conversation. Basically doing something new. Going out of your comfort zone and doing something new. Yeah, and you learning something new. Would it, in a sense, basically be you in your own mind creating this new thing for yourself where you're creating a concept of free will? And on another repeat point, it, repeat it. Sorry, sorry. Repeat yeah. that point once. <laughs> repeat that okay. point. <laughs> okay. Yes. So you going out of your comfort zone and creating mm -hmm. something like, okay, for example, let's take the podcast. Like mm -hmm. none of us thought we we're gonna be doing. Uh, th th we're gonna be on a podcast. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm. So there's that, and this this is in a sense going out of a comfort zone, since uh, there are things that are involved with the podcast that do not include just talking. Because like for me, the talking thing is is okay. I can do that. It's easy. And actually, this is the other point I also wanted to mention. Um, so, for example, the other things where, for example, marketing and uh, studying data to see how uh, how many people follow us and like how to get Improve. guests and yeah. you know all that kind of stuff. This is kind of going out of my comfort zone and me work like basically working on my critical thinking in a sense because I feel like I'm developing new skills. So is that part me doing free will and creating free will for myself? And is the part where me talking, which is easy for me, not free will because it's already something I'm, I'm good at? That's an interesting point. Never thought of it that way. But I think I think maybe given my my reasoning, 
it's it's given that I describe free will as micro decisions. I mean, you you are still making a decision to sit down and talk, aren't you? Like, um, mm-hmm. while while you were talking about discomfort, um, it made me think of like definitely. So so, I think in both cases, I think in both cases you're making a micro decision. You're still, you know, there's a fork in the road. You're going here or there. You know, just just the fact that you were going to sit down and do something in the first place, the the fact that you're going to go and do something uncomfortable. Because you know that it's going to be rewarding at some point in the future. It's it's not an easy task, and I'm not saying free will is doing things that are difficult. I don't think that's that's kind of what I believe necessarily, um, or that fork and road is necessarily doing something difficult. But it is definitely more challenging, you know, to for instance start a new routine, wake up every day. There's that element of just doing it as opposed to thinking a billion times before doing it. To, to get yourself to a point where you just kind of tell the anxiety to go away and just do the thing, it's it's um, it takes practice. I think the only way I look at it is that it's something you need to keep on doing until it stops being uncomfortable because you know that you enjoy the process or you enjoy the results even more than anything. So I don't know if I even answered the question, but I right. I think in both cases, <laughs> You're right, Mo. yeah, yeah I because I don't, I don't, I don't know if, if, like I said, I don't know if I think of it like that, mm. or or I think of free will as a thing in the first place. I think of like small decisions you make that make up who you are, what you are, but then those are just the the one to ten percent of what makes you who you are whereas everything else is all the other stuff that go on around you your life circumstances your 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 upbringing up to this point i i when you were talking i was just thinking of like my nicotine habit right so mm-hmm. i i came to saudi arabia in december and i was like hmm okay not much to do oh everyone's smoking vapes that's that's great <laughs> so let me get into that i get into that now there's this interesting uh, kind of a flip side of what you're describing. So uh, I start to smoke the vape. The nicotine hit is really nice. Um, I don't have the nicotine hit. Anxiety rises. I have a decision I could make here. Do I go for it? Do I not? Am I going to pathologize my behavior and feel bad about it? Am I going to just go whatever the fuck, just do it anyway and enjoy it right now? Um, am I going to, you know, like there's all these little tiny things and they all affect me, right? Um and essentially I just maybe with this specific thing I just let it be until one day when I just feel like okay decision has to be made right now and I make the decision and it's done um, am I being a slave to my habit probably on some level uh, but then again aren't you also that way with pretty much everything Anything that makes you comfortable? I think I think you can develop more uh, will and self-control, I think, through self-awareness. I think the more you learn about yourself and the world around you, the more you're like, oh, this is a habit that I have that's wrong and let me fix it. Or this is versus like if you're if you just accept things the way they are, you're just in zombie mode, whatever. Doing yeah. Things over yeah. and over again. But the more, the yeah. more self-aware you are, the more able you're, you are to make your own free decisions. Okay, this this is actually is a good tangent because this brings me to like this whole other idea of like living authentically or like being authentic. Now, I forget, 
I, I'm not a believer that you have any authentic essence or I'm not an essentialist. I don't think anyone's essentially anything, you know, mm-hmm. endowed <laughs> with some essential, you know, something. You you become what you develop, what you what you become, essentially. You, you make yourself into something. Um, but uh, that, so that's not what I mean by authenticity. Um, I think the better, better term would be to be... Um, um, consistent um, or honest with yourself. So, for instance, if you do something and you know it's bad for you and you're convinced it's bad for you and you keep doing it, um, you have a choice. You either go the cognitive dissonance route where you say, no, it's not really bad for me. I'm okay. I can do this thing, whatever. Like you're smoking a cigarette. You don't want to deal with the stress of quitting. You just say, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Or the other option, this is going to kill me, but I'm going to keep doing it. So, so these, these are two options. And the third option is the most difficult one of all, which is just stop it. You know, um, I think the most honest thing to do is just stop and move on and stop rationalizing. And I think this is maybe a very, very interesting uh, and very difficult thing to do. And like you mentioned, you know, this is something that takes awareness and whatever, but we've all done this on different things in our lives. Like we kind of realized, okay, this is where I, I need to make a difference, make a change. And you realize your life becomes elevated somehow. You just kind of become uh, more in your own, like more filling your own skin in a sense. I don't know how to describe it otherwise. You're just more alive, I guess. Uh, sound starting to sound wishy-washy, but you know, like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but, but I don't know. It just made me think about what we just said. Interesting. I want to know: Does your brain does your brain get like stronger and smarter and better with time, or does it? Do you have like a certain amount of time, and then after that, you get as the older you get, the more your brain gets mush. Because I know, unfortunately, there are a lot of old people that lose a lot of their memory, their functions, their behaviors, yeah. and a lot of young yeah. people have a lot of energy in their brains. They're like stimulating, popping off all the time. That's how I feel. So yeah. Will I lose um, it? Well, there's no, there's no, no, there's no, there's no, well, of course, yes, it's a strong correlation between getting older and like not having your brain be as, I don't know, flexible uh, or agile. Um, it's not a rule because I think it all goes back to the thing I mentioned, which is about uh, keeping yourself in a, in a space of uh, learning and mm. doing new things and um, kind of challenging things. But at the same time, stress is a huge factor. So if you're going to obsess over these things and you're just going to just run around, and, you're really not going to get anywhere. And then you're just going to end up overstressing and dying early. You know, so um, yeah. the idea is, is, is you want to have, you want to live long, you want to have the mental function. So you want to do two things, relax, right? And challenge yourself and, and learn how to be relaxed under that kind of stress of learning things that are stressful and, and take you out of your comfort zone. I, I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, you got to find a balance. You got to find a balance. Yeah, that's the best way. Yeah, uh, one thing I la- like, if I wanted to ask when we were talking in the beginning about mapping the brain and then finding exactly what's like down to the biophysics, I think you said, like, yeah, to the part of the brain where we can do experiments and maybe rewire the brain in a sense. Um, could this also maybe one day lead to fixing these kind of issues, mental issues and uh, health and uh, mental diseases that could happen that t- could affect the brain? So, so here's the thing. 
a lot of the times in modern you know medicine and when we do approach a problem in the brain we try to localize it we try to find a specific area that's uh, that's um doing a certain something um and then we try to treat that part of the brain or that part of the body or whatever um but i think especially with the brain um you have this whole field of brain study called connectomics and there's this thing called the connectome which is the connectivity map of the brain um and this could take on many forms um but this tells us that um what's more important than individual parts of the brain that do a certain thing or that you could target and fix and whatever is how the brain as a whole uh kind of works together um so i think in a sense um having or or this we we haven't first off we haven't really we have sorry we have actually localized certain parts of the brain that are you know uh to do with motivation and getting yourself to do things and blah 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 and yeah in theory 100% you stimulate those parts you're suddenly uh ah, i got to go do stuff i feel like wow great the world is my oyster and all that you can <laughs> essentially do that like it's not on yeah sure and it shouldn't um, be all strategy like that uh, you don't you don't, you don't have to map the brain what, what i'm trying true. to say is you don't even right. have to map the brain to do this to do that. like right. the 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 brain mapping i said down to the i think i have to kind of maybe i i will okay i said down to the biophysics and all this but i, I think the brain mapping uh, initiative is trying to simply uh give us an accurate representation of the brain in a computer in order not not necessarily for the biophysics or anything like that because we already have MRIs and we already have ways of um oh my god I'm I'm just going around in circles now I'm just like Scanning. jumping too many places <laughs> right. uh, but we but for the biophysics you don't need MRIs but and mm. the brain connectome thing doesn't have anything to do with biophysics and the, the dynamics doesn't have anything but I'm I'm just bringing together a bunch of ideas and talking about them um so so uh you don't you don't need the brain mapping thing in order to actually target a part of the brain using some kind of stimulation uh whether it be ultrasound or anything here's an example TMS uh Parkinson's oh yes yeah. TMS so so Parkinson's patients and Parkinson's patients with depression and 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 uh, treatment resistant depression patients um so you can insert they've been doing this for a while now right uh from like the middle like the late 20th century onwards, right? The psilocybin. Um oh yeah, psilocybin. So interestingly, <laughs> I'm quite interested in that shit. Um I mean a lot so, of people are. The uh, research on yes, it's a lot. Yeah. Yes, yes. Uh, it's 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 a huge field now apparently. Mm. Um but back but, but let me just go back to this whole thing. So what <laughs> they've done already is you can insert an electrode into a part of the brain, right? um that you know is implicated in parkinson's so in parkinson's uh, anyone who studied it knows it's a substantia nigra and the cells there are dead and blah blah and so what you would do is you would insert an electrode in that area roughly to the around where the substantia nigra is and you would stimulate it kind of like a pacemaker does for the heart in a sense and um the the exact mechanism is disputed uh is it disrupting behavior is it organizing behavior is it making connections stronger it, it is actually making connections stronger somehow but is it because of a disruption or because of an organization whatever the point here is because of that 
you have actually turned uh, either treated Parkinson's completely using that thing. So there's no more shaking, everything's fine. But in certain cases, because you're stimulating dopaminergic neurons specifically, because that's what that what's damaged in Parkinson's patient, Parkinson's patients, it's, it's uh, neurons that respond to dopamine. Um, essentially, you might start developing gambling behavior in these patients, whereas they didn't have any because they have wow. all this upsurge of dopamine. They start to have uh, manic episodes. Yeah, right. They, you, you literally develop mania. Wow. Um, but then again, that's, that's more common with the drug levodopa um, than it is with the surgical intervention. But yeah, here we are. Wow. Here we are. Are we all connected? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Don't quote me on anything I'm saying. Don't quote right me. Now, like backtracking and going like, do what, is this correct? <laughs> is this correct? You know, like, they get out of your head mode to go. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> ah, the chaos. <laughs> mode to go. We do want to know. I do want to know one question. Are we all connected by brains? Are we like mushrooms? We're all connected. <laughs> I mean, if you want to be. Like... <laughs> I don't know. Is there any use? <laughs> No, I, I want to hear the science answers. No, 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 no. <laughs> there's there's something super interesting. So my friends, he's doing a PhD in, in Okinawa, really nice place. And um, he and I were talking the other day and he, man, this guy is, is going to some interesting shit. Um, he really wants to study that space that exists between two people communicating. And in that, um, is, is there synchronicity uh, between the brain behavior of me and the brain behavior of you uh, when we are speaking. Um, now, there's a few problems with testing this because how do you control, you know, we were talking right. about how to design an experiment for this, mm. and whatever. But um, essentially, people are already looking into like how human beings communicate. And if when we're communicating or doing something together, like for instance, uh, we both tap our noses at the same time or we tap each other's fingers or whatever, what's going on in the brain? Simple experiments, but what's going on in the brain? Are, are our um, brain behaviors uh, synchronizing to each other? And the way you would test it is maybe one person doing this move by themselves, and then they do it in front of someone else, and you see if there's any difference in how their brain is doing it. Um, and if there is a difference, it means there's some synchronicity going on. Does this mean that we have a, some kind of interconnectedness? Not necessarily. Um, that would, that's, that's hard to do. Hard to hard to gauge. I'm not, I'm not the kind of person who's going to say, Oh, fuck that. That's all, you know, stupid new age right. shit. No, I mean, I, I like, I like these ideas. And I think like, if it's not testable or we don't know how you could test it, I mean, maybe we will later on and, and we'll see. Science, science is developing a lot. And I mean, the, especially with neuroscience and um, projects like uh, open AI, where they're trying to put chips inside everyone's head that can, <laughs> fix people's brains and such. Yeah. Uh, I think there yeah. are a lot of a, a lot of problems right now that we are trying to fix in terms of neuroscience. What is something that you think um, like people are focused on or or something that will change okay the way we live? Yeah. Um there's a lot of there's a lot of interest in creating an intelligence that's that's human like. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> uh, uh, smart as uh, us. Uh. I, I wanna I wanna just say real quick that that's quite unlikely not in any know. near not 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 now, 
at least. Give it 10 years. Essentially, <laughs> not even, I feel, but but who knows? I mean, I might not know something. Very likely, I mean, some, someone somewhere is doing something super cool. But but essentially, um, the brain is, is so complicated. And the best we could do right now is isolate specific processes that happen in the brain. So so the whole the whole idea that the, that the human brain functions in a... In a uh, the, the human brain computes in the first place comes from the fact that we invented computers. Um, you have to think about it this way. When mechanics was all the rage, people thought the brain was mechanical. When hydraulics wow. were all the rage, people thought the brain was hydraulic. Right. When I don't know what the fuck was all the rage, people thought the brain was that. And essentially what we do is we model ourselves after our own creations. So maybe that goes back to the free will thing. Like, what the fuck came first, the chicken or the egg? You know, like, are, do we do we make something in our own model, or do we actually think that we are what we make? Right. Like, wow. the, you know, the whole idea: God created us in His image. We we created us in our in our like we created things, and then we said that's us. It's like it's weird, right? Right. Um, so. So, Whoa, so that's deep. Yeah. yeah. Taking, taking so, a shot at religion also. <laughs> oh my God, what? dude. Oh my God. No, 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 no. no. Hey, man. Hey, man. Do not listen no. to the, okay. this podcast. No I, medical information. I, Don't try this I at home. I am not saying anything about religion. Also, <laughs> in Islam, <laughs> sorry, dude, but in Islam, like, there's no God created us in his image, you know? Then that doesn't exist, right? Like, <laughs> right? I'm just being metaphorical here, right? Okay. <laughs> So, um, so, 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 so back, back to it. Um, so, mean, so how do computers, okay. So wow. your question, your question <laughs> yes. is, is how to, how do computers change us and shit and, 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 or how do they help us? And, um, or how, sorry, neuroscience, your question is neuroscience. How does, how does that, wh where do I see it helping us in the future? And, um, I think the, Wow, I, I'm finding it really hard to answer the question. I think my head was stuck up in my work for too long. Like it's, yes. it's I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not looking up and like wondering anymore. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a good question. Um, so, from where I'm standing, the the interest in in creating a human-like AI isn't as feasible today. Right. We, we're creating extremely fast computing. Uh, you know, machines that are intelligent in a way that no human being can be, but they also yeah. are extremely rigid in a way no human being is. Yeah. Um, our intelligence. Okay, so here's here's I mean a possibility. We uh, we are already doing this thing. There's this thing called neuromorphic computing, which is creating computers that are modeled after uh, brain structure, brain architecture, neuronal architecture, how, how the brain is put together. And then you make these chips that are designed after that. And basically you have like 8,000 cores on one uh, processor or shit like that. And, and this essentially is going to allow computers because it's modeled after the brain in a sense, uh, as, as opposed to saying that we are computing machines, or, or this actually does say that we are computing machines, and on that basis creates a computer that is based on the structure of the brain. Um, this makes it possible for a computer to have extremely uh, vast parallel processing power from how I understand it. I'm not a neuromorphic engineer, but basically mm -hmm. you would be able to do a bajillion things at once. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe this opens the door to creating a machine that can 
make decisions, think, do interesting things. But then again, that's unlikely because our decision-making process involves emotion. This is something a lot of people don't take into account. You can't make a machine that actually simulates emotion accurately. Then again, you can bypass that whole process. So maybe I'm just talking out of my head. I mean, I mean, whatever. How how does it help us? How does Dude, it help us? I, I really think I really think that we're going to be solving a lot of psychiatric illnesses, a lot of neurological wow. illnesses, mm -hmm. uh, specifically because of our ability now to go non-invasively. My specific field is going non-invasively into the brain using ultrasound and stimulating parts of the brain in in a non-destructive way in order to actually allow these parts to learn new behavior without bypassing the, the need for you to learn something yourself as in behavioral you're telling that part of the brain to uh exercise you're exercising it in a sense right. and then when you then translate that into like physiotherapy or whatever let's talk about parkinson's you will do better in physiotherapy so the theory goes is you keep having these sessions of stimulation and physiotherapy and then you're actually going to have improvement without having to put something in Right. Um, and maybe eventually no need or with drugs, you know, you do mm -hmm. this concurrently. So there's, there's a lot of avenues for solving problems. Like one of them, one thing that I find extremely interesting is epilepsy and how you can actually predict epilepsy before epilepsy occurs using machine learning. Oh, so wow. you, you, yeah, 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 yeah. crazy shit, crazy shit. I'd find that, so, I'd find so, that useful. <laughs> so, oh so this is all very experimental. You have epilepsy? Yep. Yeah. Oh, dude. So, so this is really experimental, right? And this was done in my supervisor's lab uh, before I joined. Like, and they were doing what they were doing is, um, in a nutshell, they were teaching uh, some machine learning algorithm uh, to read EEGs and to see the pattern of the EEG just before it turns epileptic. That's a part of the EEG that no doctor could ever read because it looks exactly the same like every other part to doctors. But to a machine learning algorithm, it can discern it. things that we can never discern. And this is amazing. So machine learning amazing. specifically mm -hmm. has amazing implications for neuroscience, for, for neurological disease, you know, fixing that. Um, and basically what, what then they did in, in my supervisor's lab was they, they did this thing called optogenetic uh, stimulation. Uh, essentially what they did, this is in animals. So I'm not sure if this is feasible in humans yet, but basically they would make, they would mutate certain cells to be receptive to light, or they would find cells that are receptive to light. I mean, you have cells receptive to light even in your brain. And they would put a little uh, light, light thing, whatever, like a bulb or whatever, that LED, I don't know what it is, but they put it in the brain. And essentially it's, it's taught to basically light up as soon as it sees a pattern that predicts epilepsy in the next few seconds. So as soon as it lights up, what it does is it shuts down the epilepsy before it starts because that nerve is responding to the light. And then it goes like, Boop. oh, okay, sorry, I'm, I'm just going to chill. That's amazing. And then, then it stops yeah. the whole thing from happening because it starts from one place and then it just goes to a bunch of others. You know what I mean? Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that yeah. really is. That yeah, really yeah. is amazing. Yeah, I yeah. feel like a lot, cool is, a lot is going to change the next couple of years, pretty much, and decades and neuroscience sure. and psychology. Oh, yeah, and yeah with the college. Hopefully that brings yeah. us to a place because I do love the neuroscientists. I feel like they are like if you fix the way people think, then I guess you can all get along and we won't be angry <laughs> and combative and trying to yeah. kill each other. Then <laughs> again, is that ethical? Like you know, fixing or, or going <laughs> right? Or 
I do have that. Know? Yeah, exactly. Right. Yeah, is yeah, it yeah. like right. the thing with mental health also is right. You're, like, you're, orange. you're saying people are sick and they need to get better. But in reality, everyone just has quirks and everyone's different. Dude, everyone. I, I agree yeah. with you. Yeah, I agree with you. It's only a problem thing. if it's causing a problem for the person. Right. But then again, maybe fixing. I mean, here's ADHD. That's that's mm -hmm. a big one. Yeah. Uh, even autism sometimes. Autism, right? Yeah, I would say that. Right. Yeah. And, and, and here's the thing, like a lot of the time these these people could uh, basically benefit much, 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 much right. more Dyslexia. from a change in environment and a change in, 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 in how they're approached as kids, as well as, of course, when they're older. I mm. do not approve of drugs in children. I just yes. don't. But but when they're older, they would benefit from drugs. But even drugs have a limited scope. One year, two years, okay. useful. Then it just... And every disadvantage useful is an advantage. Every disadvantage, like some people who do have some reading problems, end up learning how to speak better, or people who you're right. like, feel you bad are so right. in school you end up so being right. athletes and stuff. So, the people who are yeah. like, you know, I don't know, disorganized and whatever could actually become the most organized people because they obsess about doing that. You know what I mean? And it's 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 um, it's exactly that. I was actually having a conversation about this with a friend who has dyslexia. I, I I'm diagnosed with ADHD. Oh, wow. So like right. yeah so Same, yeah. so <laughs> yeah so Amazing. I I get it you know mm -hmm. like yeah yeah sometimes yeah. the power sometimes the weakness but we are running out of time here and there's something I do want to know before we wrap up what is like we live in our bodies we live in our brains I'm gonna be able to respect my brain how do I take care of my brain what are some things I can do to here's here's one thing you can, you can do first mm -hmm. is think of your uh, body as an extension of your brain and your brain is an extension of your body essentially they're one of the same so don't separate lift them. pretty much lift. Okay. <laughs> <Don't> lift <it. laughs> so essentially essentially that's the truth man like um i i think i learned that lesson wow practically doing yoga uh, pick up yoga see how that goes for you you'll if you do it do the slow yoga not the fast yoga and when you're sitting there in the very dis uncomfortable position, like can just why the fuck did I put myself here? Try to take a deep breath and start to see day after day when you're doing that same position, how your brain seems to go into the same space it goes to every time you do that same position. And then that happens with every specific position. There's a, a, a certain brain space you occupy. Of course, what I'm saying does sound a bit like ethereal you know but it's not it's it's experiential i guess you know but what i'm trying to say is because of that i learned that my brain changed because of what i was doing with my body and essentially you want to change how you think change how you act you know uh in every feasible way not just the decisions you make but also how you use your body you know you, you're the nerves that move your hands they're literally just one order removed from your brain you know there's a it's attached to another nerve that goes up maybe two orders and then another nerve that goes you know so it's 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 a All very mm -hmm. it's a very direct connection um um so or a very close connection so it's all really uh influencing one another we already know that you know messages go down to up as well as up to down right so mm -hmm. yeah man all right. Amazing. Yeah. Cool. Cool. I mean, this is this is amazing. I love having a neuroscientist on the show. Thanks for coming on the show. Mode to go. Um, yeah. One yeah. Mode to go. Well, yeah. mode That's to just because it's my phone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mode to go. Well, yeah, um, I mean, before we wrap up here, I do, do you have time for one more question if I do get to ask you? Of course. We, we never spoke about drums or any of the music shit. Right? The music like, stuff. Well, this, is our, this, is yeah. our time, this is our time to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> also, yeah. right? Um, 
What like um, that's why I feel like people are better than AI because we can make music, we can make art in ways that are yeah. real and natural and take natural inspirations, right? Yeah, natural um, to us. Yeah. What is what is creativity in the brain? Okay. That that just killed me. Like I don't know how to answer that. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. Uh, I, I'm like, wait, wait, wait. wait Who else am I gonna ask? The MMA guy. That is, Who else am I gonna ask? Karate guy. Okay. I have I have to like every single thing I, I every single question I answer I have to like presuppose with like. This is not my field of expertise, you know. Oh. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh -huh. um, 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 to me personally, like, yeah, I thought about creativity. Like, what the fuck is it? And and um, how how is it that one can um, come up with things and you know modify things in their brains and like, bleh. I really, it's. I, don't know i'm gonna give it a shot like okay two minutes right <laughs> okay <laughs> but um i can't give you an answer from a neuroscientific perspective i can't say creativity is this part or that part but i will say this there may be a correlation between how the connections between different parts of the brain uh, how strong they are. Um, and the more connections between not so functionally associated parts of the brain there are, the more creative you are. Wow. And this is just a fucking hypothesis, but wow. it's not out of my ass completely <laughs> because it is something that I read. And, and, you know, there was a guy in my there's a guy amazing. in my lab who was doing who was doing mm -hmm. work on intelligence. He was trying to mm -hmm. see like, okay, specifically IQ tests, you know, because intelligence is broader than that. But, so how connected um, your brain is leads to more creativity in a sense? Not exactly. So so let's let's look at different kinds of connectivity. There's a connectivity within a certain region of the brain, connectivity between faraway regions that are functionally doing the same thing together in order to for you to, and connectivity between parts of the brain that aren't as functionally. Um, correlated necessarily and there may be a correlation between creativity and the connections be between the parts of your brain that aren't so functionally correlated as in in people who have stronger connectivity between the parts of the brain that are me you know they would be a bit more on the creative side but maybe maybe that's at a disadvantage in other fields which would be maybe the ability to have a more crystallized type of intelligence of like this kind of um, uh, literary or right. you see this, this this pattern of like dyslexia with a lot of intelligence, with a lot of creativity, uh, mood disorders with a lot of creativity, blah. Maybe there's a correlation, but here's the thing: it's not. This is not a rule. You don't have to have a problem in order to be creative. You right. know, like um, you can have these things together you can mm -hmm. be quite an intelligent person and also be creative it's it's not necessarily one or the other and does but yeah uh, sorry and does listening to music help your brain or and making music only if if only if you're paying attention to the music like like if the music is making you think and like really kind of take it apart and, and feel it somehow whether you're analyzing it or you're just like going on a ride emotionally somehow I mean, it depends on what you do with it. 
um, there's there's active listening and passive listening, right? Um, and if you're actively listening, you don't necessarily have to analyze like the theory uh, if you don't know theory, but you could be analyzing something else that you're that you're you know attaching yourself to. Maybe it's it's more it's it's less tangible than than theory. But um, the other way to experience music is just to let it take you. And this is kind of the difference, I guess, between like saying focusing on a on a problem and trying to solve it, and like being in a diffuse state. One of them is a bit more diffuse, and the other one is a bit more like focused. And yeah, I guess. Beautiful. So yeah, yeah. amazing. Well, this has been another episode of A to the Show. You guys focus, use yeah. your brains, and learn more. Um, this is really cool. We talked a lot about the brain. This is yeah, man. <laughs> amazing. Share this. But this is better than some of the high that school. It was mind blowing, man. That's I've that's taken on biology. Like, to be honest. Yes. Oh uh, my god. <laughs> I learned more in this yeah, what hour and a half talk with uh, with you Mo to go than like a lot of my <laughs> biology classes in high school. <laughs> this should be the new way we learn things. Oh much, god. I think. All right. Let's sign up here. Pe peace out. Thanks for coming on the show. Share it. Don't forget to like, subscribe. subscribe. Yes. Yeah. Share it. Yes, please. Boom. Thanks, Mo. All right. Let's awesome. Sign up. Awesome. Is there anything you want right. to say or shout out before we wrap up here? Um, hey, I, I do music, so maybe you can check out my Instagram where I also do a lot of other silly, silly things. Uh, it's uh, take the big vanilla, so just find me. Yeah. <laughs> find him, we'll be including, we'll be including a link yeah. in the description. <laughs> check it out. Don't let go. This is how we sign out. Peace and to lose. Right. Goodbye. All right, bye bye.